Proverbs chapter 22 this morning. Proverbs 22. Now, I normally preach exactly 35 minutes. I know that because I record my sermons and I see it says 35 minutes on them. And I'm noticing I have 34 minutes in order to meet our goal of getting you out of here in an hour. So let's see how we do. Proverbs chapter 22 this morning. And as you're turning there, I'll have a word of prayer. Father, I pray for this passage of scripture that it would speak to our hearts. I pray for this message that, Lord, you would use it. I pray, Father, for this preacher that you would fill him with your spirit. Help me, Father, today to say only what I should. And Lord, protect me from saying anything foolish or uh, something that I ought not to say. Just guide my words, I pray. And speak to us all today, Lord, with this important foundational truth. Uh, it's primarily for parents today. And yet, Father, I believe there's truth here for all of us, and so I pray. Guide and direct and apply your word as only you can to every heart in the room. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just one verse this morning. It's in Proverbs 22 and verse number 6. Proverbs 22, verse number 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We're continuing this morning in our studies uh, on family matters. We've been looking at the book of Proverbs and, and uh, working through some, some truths from Proverbs specifically about family and uh, various issues related to that. And uh, so we're continuing there today. And from this, this very rich verse in Proverbs, this is if, if I was to ask you what Proverbs says about family, probably most of you would come, with this, come up with this verse just off the top of your head because it's the one we think of when we think about what the Proverbs teaches about family. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And from this verse, I want us to derive our last, fourth and final uh, foundational truth from Proverbs. We kind of divided our study up into two halves, remember? We want to look at some foundational things that we needed to get in place before we got down to specifics. And then starting next week, Lord willing, I want us to talk about some very specific rubber-meets-the-road type things related to family matters from Proverbs. We've seen four foundational principles now, if you count today. Uh, the first one, foundational principle number one, was the parents' faith needs to be genuine. It does us no good to preach to our kids if they don't see it in us. And so, parents' faith needs to be genuine. The second one is, the Bible is the handbook for everything, including family matters. Therefore, the Bible needs to be in our home. It needs to be central to our home. Our, the biblical education of our children needs to be a central and an important thing in our home. So the Bible is the handbook. And then last week, we looked at the third foundational truth, which is there is no substitute for distance in dealing with sin. Uh, sin is real. Our kids need to know that. They need to know that not everything is right. And they need to know that sin is dangerous. And the antidote to sin, or to sin and to that danger is distance. So there's no substitute for distance in dealing with sin. Today, I want to talk about the fourth one, and that is this. Children require training, and parents are the trainers. Children require training, and parents are the trainers. And we're just going to unpack this one little verse and let it be our outline today. So let's just look at a couple of truths from Proverbs 22.6. First of all, let's look at that word train. Train. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from training. Interesting word. It's an interesting word in the original because it has several nuances of meaning. If you look it up in a Hebrew dictionary, you'll find it has a couple of primary meanings and then a few other things also. The primary meanings of the word are dedicate and train or instruct. Think about dedicate. 
This word was used of Solomon when Solomon dedicated the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. Same word as is used here as train. So it means dedicate. It's also used to describe instruction in accordance with proper rules of conduct and behavior. Instruction. Probably that's the way we would think of it when we read this. That's what comes to our mind. Instruction. It's from a primitive word which means to narrow. And oftentimes you've heard, if you, if you read commentaries on this, you'll often hear people describe it as hedging in your children. Narrowing their way. Building a hedge around them on each side so that they are narrowed and directed. This is a lot of meaning there, isn't there? It means that we dedicate our children to God. It means that we narrow their way, that we hedge them in in all, in all sides. In other words, we direct and correct and protect them. We train and instruct and discipline them. All those things are seen in that little word. Train up a child in the way he should go. We have some wonderful examples of this. We have a wonderful example of dedicating our children to the Lord in Hannah. Remember the story of Hannah and Samuel? We won't read it all, but let me just cherry pick a few verses out of First Samuel chapter 1 out of this story. First Samuel chapter 1, she made a vow. Hannah made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked, him, asked for him from the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. And so they worshipped the Lord there. And so Hannah, what an example of dedicating a child to the Lord. And we have other examples. We have a wonderful example in Abraham of a father training, instructing his children. Genesis chapter 18, in verses 17 through 19, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. God said, I know Abraham. He will train his children. He will raise his children in the ways of the Lord. So we see this foundational truth. Train up a child. And we see the importance of dedicating our children to God just as Hannah did and of training our children just as Abraham did. Let's think for a minute about this idea of dedicating. You know, we don't practice infant baptism at Friendship Bible Church. I know a lot of churches do practice infant baptism. We don't, we don't do that. And the reason we don't is because it's not in the Bible. There's, there's nothing in the Bible about infant baptism. I know many churches practice it. But the Bible is clear that baptism is something that believers do. That's why we use the phrase, uh, and any church that believes like we do uses the phrase, believers' baptism. It's something that someone does after they have trusted Christ. They place their faith in Christ, and then they follow the Lord in believers' baptism. That's what we practice here. And, and we've talked about that a lot, so I don't, I don't think we need to hammer it here this morning. But if you still have questions, just go to Acts chapter 8. Go to Acts chapter 8 and read the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It's so clear there. When the Ethiopian eunuch uh, has trusted Christ and he says to Philip, Hey, I'd like to be baptized. And Philip says, If. That's one of the, one of the, one of the most important things to see in the story. If you believe with all your heart, you may. If you're a believer, you can be baptized. So we don't baptize babies because it's not, it's, it's not what baptism is in the Bible. There's nothing about it in the Bible. I saw a pamphlet one time that was entitled, uh, What the Bible Teaches About Infant Baptism, and you open it up and it was completely blank inside. There was nothing there because there is nothing in the Bible. We don't practice it. 
But we do practice baby dedication. We do practice that. And I think that's what's referred to here when we think about the, the, the meaning of this word that is, uh, when, it, when it means dedicated. And what we see illustrated in the example of Hannah and Samuel. Parents dedicate their children to God and say, to the very best of our ability, we're going to raise this child for the glory of God. And the church dedicates themselves to the parents and says, to the very best of our ability, we're going to stand with you and help you in every way possible. And so I wonder this morning, have you done that, parents? Have you stepped out and said, I'd like to dedicate my child to the Lord? I think it's important, and it's something that we, we encourage you to do. But we also see in this text this foundational truth that we need to instruct our children in the things of God. Our second foundational truth was that the Bible is the handbook, right? And so here we see this building upon that. We, didn't, we instruct them. We parents have to train them in the things of God. And the Bible is our handbook for doing that. That means the Bible needs to be central. It needs to be, uh, the Bible education of our children needs to be foremost in our mind. That means we need to take every opportunity we can to train our children in biblical things. Take our children to Sunday school. Take them to VBS. Take them to junior church. Take them to youth group. Because we want to ensure that instruction in the Bible is a key component of their upbringing. You know, the training of our children is mentioned over and over in the Bible. We, we see it everywhere. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Grandparents. There it is. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And she'll talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Psalm chapter 78, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. Ephesians chapter 6, you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so training. We as parents are to train our children. (coughs) It's important to recognize here that we're not told to train our children only if they respond. We're told to train our children. There's no if on here. Period. No matter how they respond. You know, it's a great contrast to our society today. Our society today says, don't force your views on anybody. Don't try to mold anybody. Don't do that. Let them find their own way. And boy, that sounds so great, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound tolerant? There's only one problem with it. It's not at all what the Bible teaches. Not a word of it. It's just simply not there. British poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge once had a discussion with a man who firmly believed that children should not be given formal religious instruction, but should be free to choose their own religious faith when they reached maturity. Coleridge Coleridge didn't argue with him, but later he invited the man into his somewhat neglected garden. Sounds like my garden, somewhat neglected. And the the visitor said, Do you call this a garden? There are nothing but weeds here. And Coleridge replied, I did not wish to infringe upon the liberty of the garden in any way. I was just giving the garden a chance to express itself. And of course he was commenting on the guy's belief. We're to train our children. We're to train our children. And if we train them up, we're to dedicate them and instruct them. And there's also that other truth. We hedge them in. We narrow their path. In other words, we discipline them. We correct them. We spank them if they need spanking. And that's seen all throughout Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 24. He who spares the rod hates his son. 
He who loves him is careful to discipline. In Proverbs 19, discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. Proverbs 22, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs 23, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Proverbs 29, the rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a child left to himself disgraces his mother. Proverbs 29, discipline your son, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. (laughs) There's a lot there, isn't there? A lot in that simple word. We are to train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. We're to dedicate them, we're to instruct them, we're to hedge them in, we're to narrow their path, we're to discipline them when they need it. Hey, and guess what? That's all just in the very first word of the verse. There's more to the verse. Let's look at something else. How about that little phrase, the way he should go? The way he should go. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This word derives from a Hebrew word that means mouth. Now, can you look at that and figure out where mouth fits in there? I didn't have a chance to study this out in great detail, but I, I think I understand what's going on here. Uh, the, the Hebrew word has as its base meaning mouth, and I, I think the implication there is that this training of our children is at least to a large extent verbal. I think that's, that was, must be what is meant there. The way he should go. Train him in the way he should go. And there's some kind of implication that we use our mouth for that. And there's no doubt that our kids learn when we speak, right? There's also no doubt that our kids learn a major portion of their behavior by watching our actions. And so if our actions don't match up with our words, we might as well keep our mouth shut. But if we are trying to live our faith, then I think that this is telling us we need to speak. We need to train them. We need to speak the truth to our kids. Explain it to them. Talk to them. Read to them. Teach them with our lips. We read Deuteronomy 6 a minute ago, but notice how it states this truth. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And so there's at least the implication here that there's a verbal component to this training. We're to talk the truth to our kids. We're to train them verbally in the things of God. But there's another nuance to that phrase in the way we should go, the way he should go that's important too. Not only is it verbal instruction, but I think also it's individualized instruction. Some of your translations that you're holding may say according to his way. Train of a child according to his way. Individualized instruction. And every, in other words, every child is different. And we have to train them up in the way that works and is right with them. Charles Ryrie said it like this. He said, In the way he should go literally means according to his way. In other words, the child's habits and interests. The instruction must take into account his individuality, his inclinations, and be in keeping with his degree of physical and mental development. And so we tailor that training to them. So train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Use your mouth. Moms, dads, we need to speak the truth to our children. And then we also need to remember that our children are individuals. What works for one may not work for another. And we need to tailor that training to their individual needs. Well, there's another thought from this verse. Look at that little phrase, when he is old. When he is old. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. There's a wonderful illustration of this truth, again in Samuel. Remember we talked about Hannah and Samuel. Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord. And then later on, way later on, we read this. 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you said to me and have made a king over you. 
And now here is the king walking before you, and I am old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am. What a wonderful picture that is. She had dedicated him to the Lord. And now here he is, old man, and he's still walking and serving the Lord. That's what I think is being talked about here. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know what I think? I think too many parents believe that their job as a parent is to raise a successful child. To raise a successful, uh, give them success in school. To give them success as a teenager. Maybe even as, 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 a, as a college student. But you know what? I don't think that's our job, and that's not what it says here. It says here that the target is when he's old. And that's what we're looking for. Train them up so that when they're old, they won't depart from it. I, uh, I have read many times a, a speech that Bill Gates gave one time. He shared 11 tips for success that you will never learn in school. You ever hear this, Derek? 11 tips for success. It's good stuff. Let me, let me just share these things with you because I think they fit here a little bit. And if you don't see how, I'll explain it in a minute. But he, these 11 things that he says are important. Kids, you need to listen to this. This is important. Number one, life is not fair. Get used to it. Number two, the world will expect you to accomplish something before you feel good about yourself. Number three, you will not make $90,000 a year right out of high school. Number four, if you think your teacher is tough, wait till you get a boss. Number five, flipping burgers is not beneath your dignity. Your grandparents had a different word for burger flipping. They called it opportunity. Number six, if you mess up, it's not your parents' fault. So don't whine about your mistakes. Learn from them. Number seven, before you were born, your parents weren't as boring as they are now. (laughs) They got that way from paying your bills and listening to you talk about how cool you are. Number eight, your school may have done away with winners and losers, but life has not. I like that one. That's a good one. Number nine, life is not divided into terms. You don't get summers off, and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself. Do that on your own time. Number ten, TV is not real life. In real life, people have to leave the coffee shop and go to jobs. And number eleven, I like this one coming from Bill Gates. Be nice to nerds. Chances are you'll end up working for one. You know, there's some truth in there, and you might not see how that applies, but, but I, I, th- I think it does. I think there's an underlying theme there that goes along with our text. In addition to the fact that's wonderful advice for you guys, and you really need to think that thing through. Uh, in addition to that fact, I think he's also pointing out to us um, that our goal is that our children will learn things that goes beyond childhood. The goal is adulthood. The goal is successful adults. The goal is after you get out of school. And you, you're able to accomplish something when they're old. That's when our training matters. And that's when it becomes important. So train up a child in the way he should go when he's old. He will not depart from it. One last thing. And with this I'll be done. Wow, I'm, I'm going to beat my record today. We've got to talk about something else. I can't finish this early. What else are we going to talk about? Okay. Train up a child in the way he should go when he's old. He will not depart from it. Let's talk about that last phrase. He will not part. In other words, he will not change direction. He will not turn aside. He will not go off. He will not retreat. He will not fall down. He will not abandon. 
the faith. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now this, right here, is where some of us are starting to cringe right now, isn't it? This right here is where we have to remember that Proverbs are principles and not promises, don't we? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You know, all of us have to choose whether we're going to follow Christ or not. Our kids have to choose whether they're going to follow Christ or not. The best upbringing in the world does not negate that truth. There is no guarantee that we as parents can so perfectly raise our children that they are going to be guaranteed that they're going to follow Christ. They have to choose. It's as simple as that. There are plenty of examples of parents who prayerfully tried to bring their children up according to this verse, and yet their children are not following the Lord today. And in addition to working hard at training them up in the way that they should go, we need to pray for them. We need to pray that they will be good soil. That when the word that we share with them lands, it bears fruit. It takes both of those. It's a principle. It's not a promise. We have to remember that or we'll go crazy. Because we'll find examples where it just doesn't, doesn't work. Cable TV man Ted Turner. I, I use him every once in a while as an, as an illustration. He's an interesting man. Did you know that he was raised in a strict Christian home? Fundamentalist Christian home. Did you know that at one time he considered being a missionary? Just think about going off and being a missionary. He told an interviewer one time he had been saved seven or eight times when he was a child. But then he also told how there had come a time when his sister lay dying and he had prayed and asked God to save his sister. And she died and he became disillusioned and walked away from the faith. I don't, I don't think Ted Turner has anything to do with Christianity today. He said the more he strayed from his faith, the better he felt. So I, but, but think of his parents. Think of his parents who had, from, if that story is true, had tried to train him up in the way he should go. That when he was old, he wouldn't depart from it, and yet he did. So there's no promise. There's no promise. It is a principle. People like Mr. Turner, raised in a Christian home, but then turning away from it in later years and not following, remind us of that. It's a principle. But it is a principle. And that means it's important. And that means it's our hope. And that means that's what we need to do. And that means that's the only thing we can do. We need to apply that truth. Nothing in the world will humble you like raising children. Someone once said, before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children, and I have no theories. <laughs> I read one time about a student of child behavior, and he was, uh, he was well sought after for his this particular speech he would give. He gave a lecture that was entitled, Ten Commandments for Parents. Of course, he had no children. And then he got married, and he had a child. And the title of his lecture was altered. It became ten hints for parents. And then another child arrived, and the lecture became some suggestions for parents. And then a third child arrived, and he stopped lecturing altogether. The fact is, it's hard. It's hard. Nothing will bring tears like raising children. Nothing will be a greater challenge in life than raising children. You will experience no higher highs or no lower lows than those experienced raising children children. James Dobson, in his book, The Strong-Willed Child, said, child rearing is like baking a cake. You don't realize you have a disaster until it's too late. But then he also said, success in both child rearing and cake baking is best achieved by following the recipe. And so here's the recipe. The principle. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. It's our best chance of success. And so follow it. Moms, 
Follow it. That's it's the best hope that we have. Well, we've laid some foundation now in our study on family matters. And we've learned four things. Number one, parents' faith needs to be genuine. And I hope that you think through that. Number two, the Bible is the handbook for everything, including everything related to family matters. Number three, there is no substitute for distance in dealing with sin. And number four, children require training, and parents are the trainers. I'm sure if we were to think about this in any detail, we could probably come up with some other things in Proverbs that we might call foundational, but we're going to stop there. We lay those four foundation stones, and we're going to try to build everything else now on that truth. And... uh, Hopefully, next week, Lord willing, we're going to start talking about some very specific things that need to be true of us, and we also need to very specifically teach our children. Uh, Things like money, how to handle money. Boy, that's important in our day and age. And Proverbs is chock full of it. How to handle money, uh, the importance of work, the danger of sloth, things like that, which are so, so clearly taught. We're going to talk about sexuality and relationships and marriage. Uh, important in our age and in every age. We're going to talk about peace and conflict. Should Christians ever fight? Should Christians ever get involved in conflict? We're going to talk about the power of words. We're going to talk about the danger of drugs and alcohol. And uh, I hope to spend some time specifically talking to just the guys, because you know there's some things in Proverbs specifically for you guys. Men and boys, a lot in there. And if I have the nerve, I'm going to also try to speak specifically to the ladies because there's some things in there very specifically related to them. I don't know why that's always so hard. It's hard to talk to ladies for some reason. But that's where we're hoping to go over the next few weeks. So pray. Pray with us as we think through that. But I want us to conclude now. This has been the foundational part, and I hope this has been helpful. And so let's wrap that part up. And let's do it by praying. And I want us to pray very specifically for our children. So let's pray. As we close today. Father. Hear us. We are praying. Hear the words our hearts are saying. We are praying for our children. Keep them from the powers of evil. From the secret hidden peril. Father hear us. For our children. From the worldlings hollow gladness from the sting of faithless sadness. Father, Father, keep our children. Through life's troubled waters, steer them. Through life's bitter battles, cheer them. Father, Father, be thou near them. And wherever they may bide, lead them home at eventide. 